So, you know, when I'm hearing all this, it's very exciting because I have very, my personally, I'm involved in some, but not. And then I was thinking with the FAM ministry, the C-Meal ministry, We Love Kent, all of those started as an idea. Somebody had an idea. And so for me in my personal journey, and I think probably I would speak for most of us, when there's an opportunity and you take it, it leads to another opportunity to take. So the door, the door opens, you go through it. So I want to just add on to what, what Sophia is saying. You never know what the Lord wants to do, but you got to get out and do it. you got to take the steps. So an idea often becomes something that the Lord's doing, and it, be, it can become a, not that numbers mean anything, but the Lord takes our ideas because I believe he gives us the desires of our hearts. So he puts his thoughts in our minds, and then we get this idea, and then we think, I sh- maybe I should try that. I say, not maybe, do it. And so that's how the Lord has operated in many of our lives. So anyway, one of those things that the Lord's done in crossing paths with people is with Dr. Downs, who's here from Western Seminary. He has been involved in our CCS training, uh, which is a a, uh, nine-month, what do I call it, nine-month training program. (laughs) Um, And uh, that started as an idea. And so we've, we have about 40 or so students that are coming. Dr. Downs has actually come one time. He's been on a Zoom meeting with us, and he also does a class, one of our first classes that we did on the big picture of the Bible. He has been uh, around, but anyway, we just crossed paths. And so Charlotte and I celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary last Monday. And knowing that I wanted, yeah, it's awesome. Knowing that I wanted to get away, I thought maybe this Sunday, somebody, and so we asked Dr. Downs, and he graciously is here. Uh, I want to just read his bio that he gave me. Here we go. Dr. Burt Downs, it is a Downs household proverb. Burt still works for everyone. I should have brought my glasses. Uh, for everyone who once employed him. Should I say that again? Okay, I'll say it again. This is a Downs proverb. Bert still works for everyone who once employed him. So in other words, he's a busy guy ministering. At various times, a high school teacher, a principal, a football coach, the Walk Through the Bible Ministries, vice president, seminary, vice president, seminary staff, faculty member, and the seminary's president, which is Western. The executive director was the, direct, the executive director of a conference center, regional exec for a church association, seminary chancellor, and an, and an interim pastor multiple times over. He still periodically engages in all these areas, sometimes with the original groups. Bert and his wife, Alice, live in Hoodsport, Washington, near, where is Hoodsport? You do know where it is. Yeah, okay, that's good. Um, Near the family, I should have brought my glasses, I'm going to get my glasses for next, okay. Um, Families for their children. Alice keeps family and friend connections fresh and active, and Bert fulfills roles serving Western Seminary's Center for Leadership Development part-time and periodically fulfilling projects for ministry and professional groups. So in June 2019, Alice and Bert celebrated 50 years of marriage. That's awesome. The early days of marriage made room for careers, travel, and adventure, but not much room for Jesus. However, a short leave of absence from the world of careers led to a long-term call into Christian ministry. In 1975, a faith journey began, one that would impact the lives of 
individuals and organizations that would experience the Downs unique gifts as agents of change and renewal. And the journey continues. So would you please welcome Dr. Downs and bring the word to us. Oh, that's what I love is a, a leader who knows the right thing to say. Do a good job. <laughs> Great to be with you this morning and with everyone here and I guess online as well, huh? Very cool. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so pleased to be with a group that uh, is involved with us at Western using uh, many of our Center for Leadership Development courses and doing some leadership training. Anybody in here involved? Hands? Oh, yeah. Very good, excellent. This has uh, just been a joy to see how God has begun to um, draw more and more people into, into the arena of ministry. Um, we've found over, even during this COVID period of time, um, that the numbers have grown. Uh, we, we went into uh, last year uh, probably serving a few hundred people uh, through the Center for Leadership Development, and today our our student community for CLD, not, this is not Maine Western, this is a special program we offer, it just exceeded just a couple weeks ago, 2,500 people. And uh, we just find a real hunger in the lives of people who are beginning, I think, to look at this season and, and as strenuous as, as it's been, and we're gonna talk about trials, one of my unfavorite topics, but we're gonna, we're gonna focus on that this morning. But during this period of trials, somehow God has uh, awakened people's hearts to, to want to do more in his family and more in his work and more in his mission. And that's just a, a tremendous, tremendous uh, thing. So this morning we're going to take on, uh, there you can see the title of the sermon, The Trial Proofing Your Faith. Originally I had titled it Persecution Proofing Your Faith, but then I realized that all of the authors of the last few books of the Bible tend to use the word trials, and it came to my attention, and I think rightly so, that, that trials encompass a lot of things. Now, persecution is a specific kind of thing that's brought on you almost always from an outside agency. But, but trials are very generic. Trials could be anything from a bad day. Ever have a bad day? Yeah, we've had, all of us have had a few of those for sure. To, to something that could be indeed as strenuous as persecution. It's a big term. So uh, as you probably recognize looking up there uh, at that little phrase I wrote on the screen, consider it all joy. If you're familiar with your scriptures, you know that the writer James, after he introduces himself, starts his wonderful little letter with these phrase, this phrase, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Yeah, right, James. That, that's just what I feel like doing, right? Uh, not so, not so. This is, this is a fascinating thing. James, by the way, in the books of Hebrews through Revelation, James is really the book that was written the earliest. It, it's the first of those letters in a certain sense. It shows up way back during, if you put it in the book of Acts, it shows up during the first missionary journey and probably was early on addressed to the church in Galatia. And it was cycled through all of the churches eventually, which is true of most of the letters. And, and already that early in the life of the church, trials are becoming an issue. And I'm, I'm sorry, but the minute you come to faith in Jesus, trials become an issue because we live in a world that desperately in its heart doesn't want that to happen. They, you know, following Jesus is not the favorite pattern of the world. And by the way, 
Who, who's, who's the ruler of the world? Yeah, he's the, the, the prince of the power of the air, right? The leader of the dominion of darkness. Every person in here, when we're born into this world, we're born into that dominion. And that dominion never wants to let go of us. And so when we begin to even consider coming to faith in Christ or when we come to faith in Christ, we're going to find the reality that just because we live in a sinful world, we're going to face trials. And the more we move toward Christ, the more there's going to be resistance that we're going to face. If you've read the letters in the scriptures from Paul's letters, all the ones we're talking about, the one you're in right now, 1 Peter, which your pastor has made a great choice in terms of a letter for this season. Now, Peter is all about the idea of trials, all about the idea of persecution, all about the notion that it's possible that we may be called to suffer as a result of our following Jesus. And indeed, Peter did. You've learned about Peter in, in, in the first sermon that was out of this series. And you understand, if you learned about it, that Peter exactly ultimately suffered the ultimate by being crucified himself. And maybe what you don't know is that his wife was also crucified. So these are people who paid a price for following Jesus, and yet aren't you glad they did? Because their impact, just think of it. When, do you think when Peter wrote this letter that he thought that 2,000 years after writing that letter, give or take a few years, that there would still be people being blessed by that letter, reading that letter, having their lives changed by that letter? Can you imagine? And, and yet here we are. Here we are taking a look at this wonderful letter. Well, consider it all joy, my brethren, James writes, when you encounter various trials. Brethren means it's a generic term, the family of God, those of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we want to explore that just a little bit by, uh, by launching out of 1 Peter, getting a little sense of how that goes, and then I'm going to take you to the book of Jude and, and answer the question, how is it that we can prepare ourselves for trials? So let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be together here today. Thank you for the fact that in spite of trials, they can in fact be joyous because you're in the midst of them with us. And in fact, we could dare to even realize that they have a reason for being in our lives. And the reason has eternal implications wonderful eternal implications. Therefore, Lord, I pray this morning as we explore this topic that's huge and we're going to have to explore it quickly, that you would guide our thoughts, my words, um, our follow-up to all of this. Just speak into us, Lord, in ways that you would, through your word, through your spirit, through the encouragement of other people as a result of what we look at here this morning. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this praise, consider it, all, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, is, is an interesting one. It's what joy has literally the sense of, you know, I don't know about you, when trials come my way, and usually when I preach on something, they do. And to, this was no different. Yesterday, I dealt with three different people in three different arenas of trial. One, one who was an instructor of our courses who didn't like how we edited, so it was my trial. Instructors are fussy that way, you know? And, um, and one who's a young man I know who's involved in a ministry and they're phasing out a, a particular portion of it. 
and it looks like they're going to phase him out along with it, no fault of his own. And, and he's got a family, and he's kind of going, I wonder what's next. I'll bet some of us have been there. And the last one was my brother-in-law, whose wife has probably in her final weeks of uh, years uh, battling Parkinson's disease. In fact, I'm going to go see him right after the service today and have lunch with him and spend some time with him. So it's going to be a challenging week uh, in front of that family. So we all have trials. And um, I was reminded yesterday of just how significant it is is how we see them. And that word joy there means, in a sense, to lean into them. You know, I want to lean back away from the trials. And, and what Peter is, or what James is saying here is, no, there's a reason for them, and you need to lean into the trials. When the wind blows, don't sway from it. Lean into it. Consider it all joy when you encounter. Consider, says, means esteem. Be happy with that. Encounter it, engage it. Realize it has a purpose. Step into it. It may be a purpose for you. It may be a purpose for someone else that you're going to help through that. But don't lean away from it. Lean into it. Embrace it. Consider it joyful because through it, not only are you going to perhaps do something for someone else, if not then, later on, because you'll find someone who also is in that trial, or maybe you will indeed right then have an impact. So, so this is a challenging piece. And, and James, by the way, is, is all about trying to keep your faith fresh. And, and trials have a way of stealing your faith if you're not careful. So, so we, need to, we need to hang on to that. And Peter picks up on that similar theme. If you have your scriptures with you and, and can turn your way to 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm not going to preach from there. I'm going to leave that to Pastor Kevin to do. But, um, but I just want to call your attention to a couple of important pieces here. I've been finishing a course on the letters to Paul. And the interesting thing about my Bible is it's got so used to opening to those letters it's, it's like when I open it, it doesn't go anywhere else. It goes, here I'm in, in these letters. So let me get the first Peter here. And just look with me at verses 5. And we'll just shift to the next uh, slide on this one. And, and, and verse 6, which reads this way, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Now, what I want you to see in this, and I'm not going to linger over it, is, is that trials do have a distressing aspect. James wrote, consider it all joy. Peter's saying, yeah, but sometimes they do distress us. So I want you to hang on to that little phrase because we're going to put it together with some other things. So, so just think in these terms. If necessary, ooh, these might be necessary. Trials might be necessary. If necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. And here's what I want you to see, is that we need to learn to rejoice even though we may have to, for a while, suffer. That's one of the messages of 1 Peter. I'm sure you've already heard that message as you've, dealt, as you've taken a deep dive or beginning to take a deep dive in it. Second, second uh, slide here takes us to 1 Peter 1.7, which reads, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which perishes through, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The phrase that I want you to hang on to there is the proof of your faith. 
You see, you're distressed by trials, but there's a point. And the point is, there's a piece in this that's the proving of your faith. Not just the proving of it like we think of proof, but, but actually the building of it, the bringing it forward, the authenticating it. You know, I can go on a, on a cruise control deal and, and think I'm in the faith and doing all of that, but you know, you can pause on some days and say, is this really for real? But on the day there's a true trial, you begin to find the proof of your faith, the genuineness of it, the authenticity of it. And sometimes it drives you back to Christ to have to even be forgiven, right? For just how you deal with it. But, but that's the point. That's what Peter is trying to say is even though you are distressed for a while, hmm, these have a reason and it's found in the proof of your faith. And look at what he says about it. This, this process is more precious than gold, which though tested by fire may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's the second thing I'd like you to hang on to. The proving of faith culminates in the fulfilling of hope. It may test you, it may try you, it may press you, it may hurt you, it may frustrate you, it may disappoint you at times, you may feel like you failed, you may rejoice in, in, in that success. There, all of those things are part of it, but what I want you to see here is there's an eternal aspect of this, and that eternal aspect of it is imperishable. It's more precious than gold. It's something that you want to have. It's something that you are going to not just carry now into the world in which you live in, but you're going to carry it into all eternity. That's how precious it is. And so even though for a while we're distressed by trials, hang on to the fact that there's an important piece of this and it relates to the genuineness, the proof of your faith. And then the next one takes us to the last verse I want to look at in Peter, setting the stage for something. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, he says. Prepare your minds for action. So here's the deal. Peter is saying there's a way to prepare yourself for trials that will come your way. There's a way to prepare yourself. So here's the question any good Bible student's going to ask, and you're all great Bible students, so I know you're going to ask it, and that's how then do we prepare? How then do we prepare? How does someone whose wife is weeks from passing away, someone who's been married for 52 years, someone who's raised three children and have a bunch of grandchildren and living out the good life, and now all of a sudden this horrid disease is ripping his best friend away from him. How do you deal with that? How do you prepare for such things? Now, on the other extreme, how do you just prepare to handle an abnormally bad day? which is a whole other kind of trial. That's the range of these. And they're all part of the life that we live in. And part of them come from the hand of God and part of them just come from the reality of the world we're in. But they all can be prepared for. And all of these letters, and I can't go into them, I wish I could, but from Hebrews through Revelation, all of these letters carry this theme. This theme of how do you prepare yourself? It's because these churches and these believers who are being addressed, they've been a while, around a while. These aren't all new churches and new believers we're talking to here. And they've all been at it long enough to have trials impact their lives. And so the writers of these letters 
are addressing these Christians who, if we're not careful, are going to succumb to the trials and lose the freshness of their faith. And so each one of them is saying, here's a way to prepare so that when they come, and surely they will, you can be ready for them. You can be prepared for them. You can handle them. doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it just means that that's a reality. And we're going to do, go to Jude to take a look at that. So we'll just pull up the next slide on, on Jude. And uh, I'm just going to lead you into it real quickly here, because we'll just need to, we'll need to cruise along a little bit. But if you're at Jude now, Jude begins this way. By the way, Jude is, is a half-brother of Jesus. So Jude is intimately acquainted with, acquainted with the Lord. Uh, Jude and all of his all of his other, all of Christ's other half-brothers, they basically rejected Jesus and then came to him later. And once they saw who he was and what happened, and particularly, I believe, out of the result of his crucifixion and then the resurrection. So these are people, James, that we just looked at. He was a half-brother of Jesus as well. So these, these are ones who know, knew Jesus well, knew the trials of following him, knew the resistance in terms of, of, of that which would try to keep, him from, keep them from following this one, Jesus, that they knew so well. So they wrestled with all of the things that you and I wrestle with as we go through this, this world of faith. And Jude says to us, first introducing himself, and then saying to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus. And I just want you to hang on to three words, not going to linger over them. He wants you to see them because they're important to handling a trial, and that you need to know that you're called into the relationship with Jesus Christ. Hmm? You're beloved in that relationship, yes? And you're kept. No matter what comes your way, Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 runs through a great list of things you've got from you're adopted, you're blessed, you're chosen, you're delivered from your sin, you're enriched with an inheritance, you're forgiven, you're gathered into a great family, and oh, by the way, when God puts you in the hands of his spirit, he never lets go of you. You are kept. You understand? And if you're going to engage a trial, you need to understand that you are kept because the trial can make you feel like you're not. Yes? Yes. So Jude wants to set the stage. You're called, you're loved, you're kept. Then he says, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Great Jewish reckoning, shalom, huh? mercy and peace, and he adds to it, love. This is really the paradigm. If you think of Paul, Paul wrote the great chapter on love, you know, these crazy people in the Corinthian church, all out of control, and, and he takes them all on, and then he finally says, before he walks into what we know as chapter 13, he says, there's a better way to do all of this. And then he writes, he writes this, you might see the, the, the Michelangelo of love, this chapter. And he ends it by saying, and these three things endure, faith, hope, love. And the greatest of these is, love. Well, these guys who write these letters change the paradigm, and they change the paradigm to faith, love, hope. And here's the reason, because everything about us in Christ starts with faith. You sang about it this morning. You spoke about it this morning. You heard about it even in serving this morning. And for faith to stay fresh, listen, watch this. If you don't get anything else out of this, get this. It'll live with you the rest of your life. Faith 
is energized by hope. In Hebrews, the great people of Hebrews 11, they kept their eyes on the prize. They looked to the promise. Even though they never received it, they saw it a long ways off and they lived in light of it. Some experienced miracles. Some experienced even people being raised from the dead. Some experienced being in chains. Some experienced being sawed in two. And they all stayed in the faith because they saw the promise, the hope. And when you have faith and you focus on the hope, the only way to live is in the middle. And it's with love. So all of these letters are going to take you in that direction. Keep your faith fresh. Focus on the hope. Live in love. It's a wonderful pattern, isn't it? So, so picking that up in Jude then, Jude says, here's my, here's my theme. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt necessary to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. Contend for the faith. The idea there is to be a strong representative of the faith. To be able in trials to nevertheless portray the faith. And what he's writing to them for is because that's not happening. They're beginning to lose their edge. And so he calls them to that. And in so, do so, in so doing, he actually helps us to understand how to, back, we're back now to preparing, to, to prepare for trials. You now know there's an important part of it, right? It's fresh faith, focused on hope, lived out in love. All of these, the author to Hebrews, clear through Revelation, you're going to see that pattern unfold over and over and over again. But if you jump to verse 20, 20 in, uh, in Jude, Jude's this long book, right? I'm always looking for the next chapter, and there is only one. So I'm about to say Jude chapter 1 verse, but there is only one. So, okay. So in verse 20, he says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up, in the most holy faith, there it is again, right? Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of, oh, there it is again, in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. There's the hope. See it? See it? So, so one of the first things he says to us here is if we're going to prepare to handle trials, hmm, here's the deal. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's the heart of it. And here's the way you do it. Beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. That's the first piece. This morning, I listened to you sing. I heard the words, the content. And, and, and you were in a building process toward faith this morning. That's the crucial piece, isn't it? So building one another. Notice it's one another. Helping each other to do that. Then he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. And, and while some could see that as a, as a unique kind of utterance of prayer, here I think the emphasis is praying, understanding what the priorities of the Spirit are. So if you know your scriptures, you know the scriptures unfold the priorities of the Spirit. They are the priorities that Jesus would have and the priorities that God the Father would have. And it's finding your way to make sure you're praying for those kinds of things. You can pray for other things that are relevant to you personally, but praying for those kinds of things. And then the third thing he says in order to stay in the love is to focus on the coming of Christ, to focus on the hope. 
So to keep yourself centered in the love of God, you're going to work to build one another. This is, this is us together. This isn't us alone. We're going to work on one another to help keep that fresh faith, that strong faith in place. And we know it'll get challenged. Hmm? We're going to understand what are the priorities of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit and craft at least a significant portion of our prayer to reflect those priorities. Huh? And, and thirdly, then, we're also going to make sure that we stay focused on the hope. The fact is, even though we've been saying it for a long time, Jesus is coming again. You know? And we think it's a long time, and God looks at it and goes, yeah, it's just a day. It's just a day. And you have to think. You have to think if you understand the global realities of Christ's coming, that we finally live in an age where the global realities that are necessary exist. So I don't think that, I think we've got more reason than those saints back in the book of Hebrews though they had good reasons, we have more reason to be anxiously focused on the promise, on the hope, and to live with love in light of that. So the first thing is to be rooted in these things, to grow roots down in this process. The second thing, and I need to do this really quickly, is found in verses 22 and 23 of Jude, where he then writes, and have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And here, to, to jump right to the word, what he's saying is, it isn't enough just to grow roots. The roots have to have a purpose. And the purpose is, picking up on Serving Sunday, the purpose is you need to reach. You need to reach into the lives of people. And here he says you need to reach out to those who have doubt. That's an easy reach. There are believers among us who have doubts. There are unbelievers out there who are considering Christ but have doubts. And we need to reach into those lives because we have answers that will, that will squash, squelch those doubts. And then he says you need, to, you need to reach into lives. He says save others, snatching them out of the fire. You need to reach into lives of people who are just on the edge of hell whose lives are taking them to, we know what the certainty of that life is in the long run. And we need to step into that life. And that's a lot harder, isn't it? It's one thing dealing with doubts. It's another thing dealing with someone whose, whose very life seems to be oriented toward running away from God and running straight into an eternity without Him. And then he says, as if to up the ante a little bit, and on some have mercy with fear, hitting even the garment polluted by the flesh. In other words, there are some people that you and I are going to be asked to encounter who by the very nature of who they are, they're going to be fearsome people. They're going to scare us. And, and yet, Jude says, these are who you reach toward. Those with doubts, those with lives headed away from God, and even those who are so frightening in how they're about things, might just, you know, dissuade you from speaking to them and engaging them. And yet he's saying, we've got to reach. We've got to reach in all of those areas. And don't you see them all around us? Aren't they all over the news? Aren't they in our communities? All of these. So we're rooted. If we're preparing, we need to make sure we're growing roots. If we're preparing, we need to make sure that we're, we're reaching in some way. And lastly, if we're preparing, we need to know 
who we really are. And I'll close with this piece at the end of Jude. Now to him who is able, this is one of the most beautiful benedictions in all the world. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Who are you? You are the one who Christ gave his life for so that you don't have to stumble. May you, may you trip over something once in a while? You may. But the point here is, is Christ is around so that you don't go headlong crashing into the pavement somewhere. That he is able to do that, and dare I say, he is willing to do that. And to make you stand. That's the opposite of stumbling. I may feel like I'm going to stumble. He's saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to make you stand. And those people you're going to reach toward, those doubting ones that may challenge you, those ones headed toward hell that may, that may just make it difficult for you, and even those ones that scare you. And you may not feel like you can stand there, but I'm telling you, Jesus is saying, you can stand. You can stand. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. Ah, Jesus is saying, I'm all about you. I gave my life for you. You can stand. And then listen to this. And make you stand in the presence of his glory. His glory, now his is God the Father. Make you stand in his glory, blameless, with great joy. Get that. I not only can make you stand, but when you stand before God the Father, think about that. You're going to stand before God the Father because of the work that Jesus has done in your life. You're going to stand there blameless. Can you picture that? Blameless. You need to know who you really are. Because when you know who you really are, you can back up into growing deep roots and reaching long arms into a culture that desperately needs us to do that. And guess what really strengthens us to do that? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, James writes. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result. Listen to this. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. How does Jesus make you to stand? He helps you engage these trials, not letting you to fall face first at any time, making you stand up, presenting you blameless before the Father. And he does it for this reason, because he has a dream for you. And the dream is that through endurance, through facing these trials, to leaning into them rather than falling away from them, for not fearing them, but digging your roots deep so when the wind blows, it doesn't blow you over, you're standing in Christ, so that in the end of it, your faith can be fully completed in terms of what Christ envisioned for you and me. So that when we stand in God's presence, Jesus is going to stand there with us and he's going to say to the Father, she's just like I envisioned she would be. 
When you and I men stand into the presence of God and we will one day all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account, Jesus is going to stand there with you as your lawyer and your support and say to God the Father, He is exactly who I hoped He would be. That's His commitment. That's the preciousness of faith which though tested comes out purer than gold and brings about something that is eternally incredible. You and I becoming everything that God envisioned even before we existed that we would be. So we need to conclude with prayer. It is that time. And um, I just want to challenge you with something. If I had more time, it's probably good I didn't. That I would, uh, no, 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 no. I'm good. We're good. God did a good thing. We'll just, we're just going to leave it with how he does it. <clears throat> but sometime I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, that, that basically says this, that, that with unveiled face we all stand before a mirror, as it were, beholding as it was the glory of the Lord, the image of God being transformed from glory to glory into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And I want you to, with this in mind, with those who are, who are being made complete, even through the trials that you face, is sometime you would take the mirror test. Just go look at that passage, look in the mirror and say, am I? Am I through my trials and good times and opportunities and all, am I being transformed to that image? Because that's what God wants to happen. And that's what all of these letters are about, including 1 Peter, that you're going to dig so deeply into. It's about not leaving you short of what God envisioned for you. And he won't do that. He will bring you to where he needs you to be. We can count on it. And in fact, we're going to pray on it right now. And Pastor Kevin's going to come in and draw the service to a close for us. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are so incredibly faithful. Faithful in giving us your son, who, who made the opportunity for faith possible and real and genuine and forever. Thank you for the spirit that speaks into us and helps us to understand these things and to take these things like we talked about today of preparing, of growing roots, being rooted in you, and as a, re as a result, being able to reach out into areas we never dreamed we could. And, and in doing all of that, understanding who we really are, that, that we, we can stand before you. Don't stumble. You're holding us up. You are causing us to endure right to the end when we will stand before the Father with great joy and we will stand there blameless. May it be so for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.